Have you ever heard the phrase, like father, like son? How many of you have seen that phrase? You've seen it lived out. I know I have. I, I, I think about that a lot, especially with things going on with my dad right now with his cancer. And uh, he's been on my mind a lot lately. And uh, one of the things I've, I've noticed maybe more than before is the way I say things, I notice, oh, that's like my dad says it. Or when I think things or feel things or even, some of you ever experienced this, even the way that it's like this physical expression, like you feel like, I, I, you know, like I folded my hands, like, oh, that was so my dad. You ever do that? And you realize that and recognize that? Well, I, I got a couple of pictures here to show you where a little bit of that phrase too. Maybe you have some like this of, of your kids or even of you when you're little. But this goes back a long time, this phrase like father, like son. And I think we've got, got a couple of photos here to show you. Here's an older one. Some guy's just kind of looking down at something and there's a little boy behind him. Here, check out this one. Asleep. Those mouths, right? I mean, that's the same, that's the same family. No doubt about that. How about this next one? I like that. Just relaxing. They, they know how to relax together. And then this next one, though, might be my favorite. Two months and 484 months. He's well on his way. Well, this morning, we're going to see this in the life of Jesus. We're going to see like father, like son. As the father is, so is Jesus. That he's fully God. That, that in every way, his essence is exactly like that of his father's. And in fact, all that he does and, and all in the way that he acts is only on his father's authority. And if you want to know what the father looks like, Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. Let me pray, and then we're going to be in John chapter 5 this morning. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his example. Thank you for uh, his life of prayer, his, his life of obedience, uh, for his teaching, uh, for everything about him, for his work on the cross. Uh, thank you that he loved me even while I was still his enemy. And uh, Father, thanks for your grace to us through him. Holy Spirit, I pray you'd fill me and speak to me and through me this morning um, as we teach your word and study it together. I pray against the enemy as he would uh, lie to us and and accuse us and and tempt us. And instead, Holy Spirit, work in a powerful way among us to change us to be more like Jesus. That just as he resembles the Father, we would resemble him, our big brother. Father, we love you. Look forward to a good morning. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you have your Bible open, uh, we're going to be in John chapter 5, and we're actually starting in verse 19 this morning, but before that, I want to show you that actually this resemblance between the Son and the Father started in the passage we were in last Sunday, but maybe you missed it. At the very end of last week's passage, starting in verse 17, Jesus answered them and he said, my Father is working till now, and I am working. And we read that and we go, okay, great, you're both working, cool. But what you don't recognize is is what the Jews that he spoke that to would have recognized. When Jesus said that, what he's saying is like father, like son. Like he's working, so I'm working. Like he's God, I'm God. 
And how do I know that? Well, look at verse 18. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father. Jesus was making himself equal with God. Let's just read through the whole passage together through verse 47, starting in verse 19. So then Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. Like the Father does, the Son does, Jesus says. Like Father, like Son. Maybe you've heard the expression, uh, you've heard this phrase, but every father should know this, that, that your children, your son, uh, will pay less attention to your advice and instead they'll follow your example. <laughs> they won't pay as much attention to your advice as they will to your example. They'll live out your example. And Jesus is saying here, hey, just like the father has done, so the son does likewise. Notice Jesus didn't say that He will not do anything contrary to what the Father does. What's he say? Look at verse 19. Head back to verse 19 for me if you could. He says, the Son cannot, he can do nothing. He can't do anything that's opposite of what the Father would have him do. It's it's outside of his nature. You ever hear the question, well, God can do everything. You ever hear that? You heard me say, oh yeah, God, with, every, with God, anything's possible. Is that true? It is true. However, there are there things that are impossible for God? Yes, there are. Like what? Well, like, like Jesus doing something that the Father would be dishonored in or that would be opposite of what the Father would have him do. He can't do that. He can't deny himself. God can't, and in the same way, he can't deny any of his attributes. God can't make a rock so heavy that he can't lift it. Right? There's certain things, if it, it's always in line with who he is. And Jesus, when we see Jesus, we see the whole Godhead. We see everything because they're all of the same essence. One God, three persons. But when you see Jesus, you see the Father. Some theologians would say that's all of God you'll ever see even is Jesus. That you'll never physically see the Father, but you'll just see Jesus. And that's enough because then you've seen it all. And Jesus said, he, he didn't say, I will not do anything independent from the Father. He says he cannot. They're one in spirit in essence. They cannot contradict one another. In fact, Jesus makes it clear that he doesn't act on his own authority, but by that that's given to him by the Father. This applies to the Holy Spirit as well when we're talking about the Trinity. The Holy Spirit will never do anything that contradicts God's word or that contradicts the teaching of the Father or the teaching of Jesus. In fact, the role of the Holy Spirit is to come as our comforter. And Jesus says, when the Holy Spirit comes, it will actually be better for you than when I'm here by myself. Jesus says, I do nothing but what the Father would have me do. And the Holy Spirit is sent, does nothing but what Jesus would have him do. What's Jesus do? What the Father has him do. So what's that mean? They're all consistent, right? So, so when you see somebody do something and they say, oh, it's the Holy Spirit told me to do that and rob the grocery store. I don't think he did. I don't th- it might have been a spirit, but it wasn't the Holy Spirit. Right? I, God cannot deny himself. Jesus lived exactly the way God wanted him to. And you realize that if you've trusted Jesus Christ, you're, 
Every one of us is made in his image, but when you trust Jesus, that image is restored to where now you're a new creation and you're viewed by God the Father in the same way that he views Jesus as holy and pure and lovely and without sin as a saint. And so Jesus in his unity with the Father lives out what his Father would have him do. Us in our unity with Jesus should live out what our big brother Jesus would have us do. Does your life resemble Jesus? Does your life resemble the Father? Is it for you like father, like son, like father, like daughter? Well, verse 20, for the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these, Jesus says, he will show him so that you may marvel. Well, we see here that that Jesus makes it clear he doesn't act on his own authority, but only on that that's given to him by the Father. So it it begs the question for me, why does God give Jesus authority? Why is it that God delights to give things over to his son to live those out for his son to have authority? Well, it's answered for us right here. It's because the Father loves the son. How many of you, you're a good dad, you, you love your kids and you love to give them responsibility and to hand things off to them and to delight in their obedience and to delight in, in them being kind of the star of the show, the face of what's going on. And you're just, you're just delighted in your son. I think that's you resembling the father. That's part of God's image in you is when, that God delights also in his son and he loves him and he, and he gives him authority in this way. Here's some of the ways that he gives him authority. Just Like father, like son, for as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the son gives life to whom he will. This would have been shocking to the people who heard it, to Jesus to say, just like the father gives life, so the son gives life. Who had the power to raise the dead? God. No one else. So again, what's Jesus claiming here? I'm God. Just like the father can raise the dead and give life, I can raise the dead and give life. Verse 22, the father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the son. The father has has given Jesus the authority to judge. This is a comforting thing and this is a scary thing. It's comforting if you're in Christ, right? It's, It's terrifying if you're not in Christ because you'll be condemned. But for those who are in Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation. God is the judge of the world, yet Jesus says he's been given the authority to execute judgment by the Father. Verse 23, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. And in fact, Jesus says, whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. So so just like the Father, Jesus receives honor. Now, it's curious. I I, I would encourage our students when, when I was doing youth ministry, and I know I've encouraged you as well from... From this stage, but in our culture, which is becoming increasingly pluralistic, and uh, some would say godless, I would say there's more idols now, maybe than ever, that, that we give our lives to and devote ourselves to. When we name God, it'd be good for us to name His name, the name of His Son, Jesus. So when I say God's been really good to me, how about well, that, that's great, and. The guy who's, who's Jewish and the guy who's Muslim and the guy who's whatever can go, yeah, oh, yeah, that's, yeah, I agree. You want to be brave about it? Go, man, Jesus has really blessed me this week. And like the hymn, I mean, there's something about that name, right? 
And you start to name who it is that's blessing you and name who it is that you're giving honor to. And it's a great witness. I would encourage you as you name God, name Jesus. Jesus says, because he wants all to honor him. And those who don't honor the son don't actually honor the father. They may say, yeah, we honor God. We love God. Well, what are you talking about Jesus for? What do you mean Jesus? It's a good test to find out, hey, are we on the same page here? If they're willing to talk about God but not talk about Jesus, maybe you need to talk to them about Jesus. Right? Jesus says, if, if, they, if they really love the Father, they'll honor me. And if, if they don't honor me, they, they don't really love the Father. Paul says at some point in Philippians 2, 9 through 11, that every knee shall bow. Every knee will bow. The curious thing is, the, the great thing is, right now we have the choice. Will I bow my knee and honor the Son now out of my own free will and come to him in faith? Or will I be forced to later, recognizing it not in his grace and in his love, but in terror of his judgment. Honor him now and honor the father. He can receive honor just like, like father, like son. Verse 24, truly, truly, Jesus says, I say to you. Whenever Jesus says truly, truly, if you have an old King James, it might say verily, verily. Remember anybody shouting that, pounding the pulpit? Verily, verily, I say to you. It's like, listen, pay attention. This is true. I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. See, Jesus says that, that God's, the Father's given me the authority to judge, but if you hear my words, you believe that he sent me, that I and my Father are one, if you, you believe that, put your faith in me, guess what? You won't be judged. Because I'm taking your judgment on myself. There's no condemnation. And and notice this. It says that whoever hears my word. Paul says has a line in Romans chapter 10 where he says, Faith comes by, anybody complete the sentence? Faith comes by what? Hearing. And hearing by the word of God. The gospel stresses believing in Jesus himself. Believing in his words. And loved ones, if, if you, you, you talk about sharing the gospel and people meeting Jesus, it doesn't happen unless they can hear his words. And oftentimes, guess what? They're not going to hear my words. They're going to hear your words. And you need to open your mouth and tell them about Jesus. Now, you don't have to be weird about it, right? I mean, you don't have to go, in, hey, let me tell you. I mean, people will be like, you know, Tell somebody else about you, right? I mean, you, you just, but what about an everyday conversation? When somebody's struggling with something and, and you recognize they're having a hard time with this issue in their life. The answer maybe isn't to go, ah, oh, you need Jesus. No, it's, yeah, I've been through that too. And you know how I got through it is through Jesus. He helped me. You, you bring him up in everyday conversation And when you have the opportunity, when God gives you those opportunities, you take advantage of it and you share scripture. You share his words with them, the truth of the gospel and the truth of scripture. You don't have to be weird about it. Don't be thumping people with your Bible, but but make it an everyday part of your life, right? That it flows out from who you are. Because Jesus says, whoever hears my words and believes them, well, they're going to hear them from you and they're going to believe them when they see you living it out, not just screaming it at them. But at the same time, they've got to hear it. You've got to open your mouth. 
Verse 25, truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. To understand what he's saying here, when he's speaking of the dead, he's not speaking of those who are physically dead. the, The Bible teaches, loved ones, that, that apart from Jesus Christ in our sin, we're spiritually dead. We're separated from him. And we need to have life restored into us. Our sin separates us from God. The penalty of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. And in our sin, we're spiritually dead. We're dead and we need to be revived. And that happens by hearing whose voice does Jesus say? His. And when you hear his voice, the dead will live. How many of you, you you resemble that? Like you were dead spiritually and you heard Jesus' voice. You heard the Spirit speak to you through his word, through the words of somebody else speaking his words. And because of that, you've put your trust in Jesus Christ and now you're alive. Amen? Yeah, that's the truth of the gospel. And some of you hearing my voice, you're dead in your sin. You're spiritually dead. And you need to hear Jesus' words this morning and understand if you would believe his words and trust him that you would be made alive. And there's no condemnation for you if you simply believe. You're like, that's too simple. I know. It has nothing to do with you, does it? It has everything to do with how good Jesus is. And if you would repent, which just means to turn to him, you'd be saved. Jesus is able to give life through his word. Notice those who who have eternal life, it's not they're going to get eternal life. He says in verse 24, they have eternal life. Eternal life is a present possession because it's one of those things, the moment you trust Jesus, the Bible says you're a new creation. That that all who have trusted Christ, behold, the, the old is gone, the new has come. You're a new creation. You have eternal life. Eternal life starts the moment you trust Jesus, not after you die. Because you were dead, now you're alive. So if you've trusted, guess what? You're living eternal life right now. And you've been born physically, you were dead spiritually, and you were born spiritually. So born twice, you only die once, live forever. The flip, flip side of that is true too. Though, If you're only born once physically, you start off dead spiritually and you'll Stay dead spiritually and die physically, die twice, spend eternity in hell, paying the penalty for your sin. Trust Jesus, be born again, pass from death into life. John describes it in another letter. He says, evidence for this is our love for one another. We know that we've passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Colossians, Paul says, Jesus has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Verse 26, for as the father has life in himself, so he has granted the son to have life in himself. This is a big statement, right? If you just plow through this passage, you read it. And if, if, if I'm honest with you, I read it and I get a little confused and I have to slow down and think through it. And, and I'm guessing I'm not the only one as you read through this. But then you get to, you break it down verse by verse and you get to each statement. And here he says, as the father has life in himself, So he has granted the son to have life in himself. What does it mean in himself? I I think maybe uh, you could maybe add to that translation and say in and of himself. The father has life in and of himself. And so the son has life in and of himself. In other words, Jesus is saying, I'm the source of life. 
Like you may have life in you. You may be breathing. You may have eaten breakfast this morning. You may be shivering this day warm right now. And you have, a, you have a life, but what Jesus is saying, not only do I have life, but I, I author life. I give life. I cre- it started with me. I source life. You received life, but you didn't just go, hey, life, and speak it into existence. God does because he's the source of life. We don't have life in and of ourselves. It's a gift given to us by God. Both physical life and eternal life are gifts that we don't have the the ability to source or sustain. But Jesus has it in and of himself. He didn't receive it from some exterior source. He's God. He's the source of life. 1 Timothy 6.13, I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus. Jesus says to him, John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the source of life, loved ones. Verse 27, then also, we've seen this already, but he has authority. And he is given, the Father has given him, the Father has given the Son authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Jesus has authority. And what I want you to see in all of this, he says, verse 20, don't marvel at this for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. And those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Jesus says, I can do nothing on my own as I hear, I judge and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And what what you need to see here is that by comparing himself to the Father over and over and over, Jesus is emphatically declaring himself to be God. Jesus, the lion man of Judah, is saying, I'm not just a man, I am God. In every way that the Father is God, I am God. So don't believe the nonsense that Jesus never declares himself to be God. He does it over and over and over. That's why they kill him. And in declaring himself to be God, verses 28 and 29 there, he, he says, earlier than that, I have the authority to give life. Well, he, he, he declares himself to be God. And in, in Jewish culture, one of the things you need to know is that if you just declare something on your own, you need to have other witnesses around to confirm it, right? What, what makes something true in the courts and in their culture and in the Jewish law is not just one witness, but two or three witnesses, right? Before you can bring a charge against someone. And so Jesus is like, he's like the guy on Reading Rainbow. You ever watch Reading Rainbow when you're a kid? I know, I know, I threw you for a loop there, didn't I? But I got your attention. You ever watch it when you're in, in middle school or middle school earlier than that? And LeVar Burton is there, and, and he, he talks about this. And this is a great book, but what's he say? But don't take my word for it. And Jesus is saying, listen, I'm declaring myself, but don't take my word for it. Here's a few witnesses to it. And he gives three. I know that was a far-fetched one, wasn't it? But it was, I got your attention. He gives three witnesses. He calls in the witnesses because he says, verse 31, if I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. So first witness, verse 32 John the baptizer is the first witness. He says, there's another who bears witness about me. See, I'm I'm telling you I'm God, but I'm not the only one who's saying these things. There's another one. And I know that, that the testimony that he bears about me is true. He says, you sent to John and he has borne witness to the truth. 
John bore witness to the truth of who Jesus was and who Jesus is. In fact, when John is introduced in the beginning of the gospel of John, John the baptizer, John describes him, John the evangelist describes him as there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light. In other words, to bear witness about Jesus that that all might believe through him. He wasn't the light. He wasn't the Messiah, but he came to bear witness about him. And, And John comes pointing all of his ministry to who? To Jesus. And he declares Jesus to be the long-awaited Messiah. He declares Jesus to be the Savior of the world. He declares Jesus to be the light of the world, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, who would save the world, declaring him to be God. Jesus says, it's not just me, but John, you went to him, you believed him. And he says, verse 34, not that the testimony I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. See, he was a burning and shining lamp. And you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light, Jesus says. If you're not going to believe me, then believe John, because John points everything to me. And I know there's some of you, like you heard John preach, you heard him teach, and you're like, go, John. I like this guy. I'm following him. Right on. Amen, John. But then I get up and I declare to you who I am, and you go, boo, no, blasphemer. John was saying the same thing about me. If you're not going to believe him then, right? I think a good point of application for us is Jesus says John was a bright and burning lamp. Well, Jesus tells us in in his Sermon on the Mount that we are like a what? A city on a hill. And a lamp on its lampstand can't be hidden or there's no light for anybody. That, that like John, we're to declare the gospel. We're to point people to Jesus. We're to declare who he is, to be a witness of who he is in our community. And Well, here's how Jesus says it. You're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. Are you doing this? Are you pointing people to Jesus? Are you bearing witness to who he is? Well, Jesus doesn't stop with simply John as a witness. He adds a second one. He adds a second one. The second one he adds is his works. Jesus works. See, he goes, but the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I'm doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. All those things that we just talked about in verses 19 through 29, they all are Jesus' works that point to the fact that like father, like son. He's like, if you don't believe me, then believe my works. And in fact, there's another point in the Gospels that we'll get to where Jesus says, if you're not going to believe me, then look at what I'm doing and at least believe because of this. These point to the fact that I am who I say I am, that I am the focus of, of all of Scripture, of all of history. Jesus says, believe my works. It's in John 10, verse 37 through 38, he says that, if you're curious. He says, if if I'm not doing the works of my Father, don't believe me. But if I do them, even though you don't believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand. The Father's in me, and I am in the Father. You know, loved ones, this includes the works that Jesus does in my life and in your life. 
You want to know what one of the greatest testimonies you'll ever give to the gospel? One, you have to open your mouth and share it with people, right? You have to, you have to open your mouth. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But, but you know what's an incredible message to people? Is Jesus' work in your life. Even in the midst of it when it's hard and when it's painful. When people see Jesus working in you and on you, guess what happens? They're encouraged and they go... Her God's real. His God's real. I mean, what's a greater testimony? Somebody just saying, yeah, trust Jesus, or somebody going, man, here's what Jesus is doing in my life. And you knew me the way I was, and you saw me come through this. That's the only way I made it through. To see his works is so much more powerful. He still does that today. And a third witness, then, is all of Scripture. Some people would break this into three different parts, that there's the witness of the Father and of Scripture and of Moses, but I think all of it is the witness of all of Scripture points to Jesus. It all points to Jesus and to who he is. See, look at verse 37. It says, And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. The Father bore witness about me. He goes, His voice you've never heard, His form you've never seen, And you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. But look at just verse 37. His voice you've never heard. Well, he's speaking to the Jewish leaders, to the Pharisees, to those who are leading, the religious leaders. There was somebody whom they followed who had heard God's voice. Do you remember who? Anybody? Moses heard God's voice. Exodus 33, 11, thus the Lord used, used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. They followed Moses. And it, Jesus is saying, you're listening. Moses heard God's, I know you haven't heard it like Moses. And, and you, haven't, you haven't seen God. You, he hasn't appeared to you like he did, in other words, to Jacob face to face in Genesis 32, 30, where God wrestles with him. He goes, however, his voice you've never heard, his form you've not seen. And it, but what was the one witness they did have to who God was? They had his word. He's like, you're not a, I know you haven't heard his voice. I know you haven't seen him. But listen, you have his word. And what's clear, you think you believe his word, but you don't. You know why? Because you don't believe the one whom he has sent. You don't believe me. You're not pointing to me. You're, you're pointing at all these external things. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. What you miss is that they bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. They wouldn't trust Jesus. They wouldn't turn to him because they didn't truly believe God's word. Remember, I've given you a starting point of faith. The, the beginning of faith is believing God's word. Jesus says, believing God's word means believing me. Believing God's word means trusting Jesus. And yet so many, Jesus says, they get, you study God's word, you think you're going to find life, but you, you refuse over and over and over to come to me for life. I wonder if he was standing on the stage this morning, if we had Jesus in to preach, and I would sit down in a hurry, right? And, and he'd say, You've come to church your whole life. You've gone to Bible study. 
You were in youth group. You, 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 you studied scripture. You went to Bible college. You, you, you've done all these things, and, and you think that by doing these, you've served in ministry. You served in the nursery. You served in kids' ministry. You served in, in student ministry. You, you went out and, and raked leaves for people who needed service done in the community. You, you've done all these things, and you think that in them you'll find life. But what you fail to recognize is you haven't come to me. You've only come to church. Jesus says, yet you refuse to come to me that you would have life. Let me submit to you that some of you, you, you you've gone through life, you're, you're, you've, you've stayed in church your entire life, you've done all the churchy things, you've followed all the rules, but you've never come to Jesus Christ. And you go, why isn't this working? I try so hard to get over this. I try so hard to move through this. I try so hard. I've done all the right things, God. What's Why? And he'd say, you did all those things thinking you would find life, yet you've never come to me that I would give you life. Why is it that people, our bent is to try to achieve God's favor, isn't it? And to do enough things that God would love us. Yet God says, I love you because I'm good, not because you're good. Simply come to me. I'm the source of life. And some of you simply need to turn to Jesus because the sad thing is it's a warning here I believe verse 40 is to people like you and I who've spent our lives in church my vocation in church that I can spend my lifetime in church yet never be in Christ you see the difference it's easy to be in church and do churchy things but Paul says that those who are saved are those who are in Jesus Christ there's salvation in Jesus. Are you in Christ? There's a handful of things that keep people from going to Jesus. Some say life in Christ is too demanding. It's too demanding to follow Jesus. It's too much, Josh. It, it takes too much time. I don't have that much time. I, I can't give that up. I can't. Because you know to, to follow Jesus is to repent. It means to turn from me and from my ways and my reliances and to turn to him. That's too demanding. I can't do that. Well, how's the thing you're doing now working for you? How's that going? Jesus says, my burden is easy. My yoke is light. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. He says, come to me, all who you need rest. Who are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Some say life in Christ is too humiliating. I mean, surrendering to Jesus is just like surrendering to anybody else. And I'm not surrendering. I got, I got my pride. I'm an American. I'm independent. I pull myself up by my bootstraps. You know, grace is maybe one of the most un-American doctrines there is in all of Scripture. It has nothing to do with us. Not that responsibility and those things are bad things, but they're not ultimate. We need grace. We need Jesus. Our pride keeps us from repenting. Other people would say life in Christ is too costly. It costs too much. I'd lose my power. I'd lose my position. I'd lose my possessions. I'd lose my job. I'd lose this thing that I'm holding on. It's too costly. Well, is it really? 
what, what are those things holding on to those going to cost you in the end? Jesus warns, he says, woe to the man who would gain the whole world yet lose his soul. It's a lot more costly than following Jesus. Some say fault life in Christ is too disappointing because I've seen Christians, <laughs> they're boring and they're always, they're bad examples. But is the example of an inadequate, failure-prone Christian acceptable excuse before God? I'm sorry, Jesus is not like us. We're called to be like him and to grow to be like him. Some say life in Christ is irrelevant. It's as insignificant as going to Sunday school when I was a kid. It just makes no difference in my life. I'd say it's incredibly relevant to the way you should live your life. And some would say this. Life in Christ is for later. I'll get to that when I'm ready. But for now, I'm okay. For now, I'll make it through this week, this year, this decade. I'll get my kids through school. Then maybe I'll really give my life to Jesus. Then maybe I'll really follow. I'll just save it for later. You have no clue how long later is. You may not make it out of this building. That's not a threat. It's just, I mean, you may not. <laughs> Some of you looked really worried. But you don't know. You do not know. Later could be this afternoon. Later could be this week. Later could be next month. Don't roll the dice on this. Don't wait. Trust Jesus now while there's still time, while you're still in his grace and you still have the opportunity. Because there comes a day where his patience runs out and his grace is no longer available to you. Trust him today. And I'll leave you with this. The psalmist says, today, today, if you would hear his voice, do not harden your heart. And he goes on, he says, like they did in the wilderness. Loved ones, Jesus is calling upon you. He's given evidence to who he is. And there's other evidences all throughout scripture and all throughout this church and all throughout life of who he is. And he's calling you to come to him so that you could have life. Some of you, you've trusted him. But it's time to quit relying on you and begin going to him for life. Go to him for life. And some of you have never trusted him. You're running out of time. Trust him. Let me pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his grace and his goodness and uh, for your grace to us through him. Father, I pray for those in this room and uh, for those who would hear my voice maybe later on recording. That as they hear these things, Father, if they've never trusted you, you'd call them to a point even right now. 
where they'd surrender, where they'd give things up to follow you. That just as Jesus gave up his his rights to submit to you and to come under your authority and to to live the life that you called him to on this earth, that, that we would do the same thing submitting to him. And I pray for those, Father, who've never trusted you, that even in this moment, help them see the, the lostness of the state that they're in, that apart from Jesus Christ, there is no life because he is the source of life, just as you have life in yourself. He has life in himself. And not only this, but he gives life to whomever he chooses. And he says that those who would receive life are those who would believe my words and come to me and there would be no judgment, no condemnation for them. So even in this moment, Father, draw people to yourself. Holy Spirit, draw them that they would repent of their sin, turn from their ways and turn to Jesus Christ. He's their only hope. For those of us who know him, I pray that you would help us to live with that kind of dependence, modeling Jesus, seeking your will above our own, seeking joy in you and not in this world. Remind us that time is short and that that you call us to come to you that we would have life. Father, thanks for your word. Thanks for Jesus. Uh, I pray all these things through him.